Hello everyone and thank you for joining me for this podcast as we explore the ideas behind the development of intelligence in children. It's a fascinating subject. Now simply put, intelligence can be defined as the ability to perceive or infer information and retain it as knowledge. However, this definition can be widened to encompass an individual's capacity for things like logic, understanding, reasoning, planning, creativity and problem solving. IQ is short for intelligence quotient and it's a quantitative measurement of cognitive ability. Now most psychologists believe that the development of intelligence occurs in intermittent bursts. So brain development begins in the womb where simple neural structures are formed if you like and intelligence then develops from birth onwards with the acquisition of skills and knowledge which varies from obviously child to child. Studies indicate that during I think the first five years of life about 90% of brain development has already taken place. Many believe that environmental and external factors play a significant role in a child's development of intelligence. Intelligence in children is usually identified in school via tests. The University of Georgia's Better Brains for Babies programme in fact stated that intelligence in infants can be observed according to three distinct categories, namely emotion, so from birth to 18 months old, speech, looking from birth to about 10 years old, and logic from ages 1 to 5. Now, language acquisition has been identified as the most significant indication of intelligence in children. A study by Preston uh, concluded that early language development in children sets the stage for a lifetime of competence in language and literacy. Psychologists have offered up a range of theories to explain the development of intelligence in children, some of which I plan to explore further in this particular podcast. So let's talk about some early theories of intelligence. Well, German psychologist William Stern was the first to use the term intelligence quotient, or IQ, in the early 20th century. Stern proposed that mental age could be divided by chronological apologies, age to, uh, I guess you could say, yield a sort of handy numerical score, if you like, for intelligence. So the theories of intelligence have developed significantly over the years, from Charles Spearman, who defined intelligence as a cognitive ability that can be measured and numerically expressed, to scientists such as Louis Thurston, who stated that intelligence was based on seven primary mental abilities, verbal comprehension, reasoning, perceptual speed, numerical ability, word fluency, associative memory and something called spatial visualization. Now this was, as you can imagine, a much more robust view of intelligence. Now generally speaking, earlier theories of intelligence suggested that intelligence was fixed, that we are born with a certain ability. That was also the view of intelligence in uh, children. The Greek philosopher Plato argued that children do not learn anything new but just simply recollect knowledge that has previously lain dormant. In the 17th century, the philosopher John Locke proposed an opposing view, arguing that we're all born with, I guess you could say, a blank slate, and are shaped by all of our experiences. Today, theories of intelligence in children have developed significantly. 
they propose not only that intelligence has many facets, but also that intelligence and the acquisition of intelligence appear to be a combination of nature, so genes, and nurture factors, so environmental factors. We know that babies are aware of their surroundings and acquire a range of cognitive skills from birth. They gather, sort and process information around them, which is the beginning of intelligence development. So let's just look at it in a bit more detail about this nature versus nurture argument. It is important, though, to consider whether intelligence is hereditary or if it can actually be learned. In 1995, the American Psychological Association found a significant correlation between intelligence in family members, thus suggesting that children acquire their intelligence from their parents. A large study uh, conducted by Queensland University, I think it was in about 2013, it involved, uh, I think it was um, 18,000 children from the UK and uh, three other countries, so a, a significantly... Um, large study and it concluded that intelligence in children was 40% or so down to parental DNA. So this therefore raises the question as to where the other 60% of children's intelligence comes from and many scientists believe that it's due to environmental factors. So it can be argued that children do acquire their intelligence from their parents both from their genes and also from the way that the child's intelligence is nurtured in their environment. Research has found that educated parents are more likely to talk at the dinner table, take their children to museums and read stories to their children at night, all factors that contribute to the development of intelligence in children. In fact, a study by the University of Virginia and Lund University in Sweden further supports that idea. They discovered young adults who were raised in households where their parents held a degree level education and or higher educated uh, households developed higher cognitive abilities than those who weren't. Modern genetic research indicates that there is no such thing as a single biological source of intelligence. There are hundreds if not thousands of genes that play a role in determining our cognitive skills. A person's ability to make use of his or her genetic potential can indeed be influenced by their environment. Some research suggests that environmental factors offer only, I guess you could say, a temporary gain in intelligence. For instance, children whose parents help them with their homework or help them uh, prepare for tests may do well academically but may not possess long-term intelligent traits that they can carry then into adulthood. There was a longitudinal study conducted by developmental psychologist John Protzko focused on the first three years of a child's life. Now, it highlighted the range of environmental factors that impact on children's intelligence, such as having access to preschool education versus staying at home and the quality of play and care whilst at home. At the age of three, the children were given tests measuring the five main factors that are used to describe intelligence. So knowledge, quantitative reasoning, visual spatial processing, working memory and something called fluid reasoning. Now, at ages five and eight, uh, the children were tested again. The researchers found that environmental interventions boosted intelligence, but only temporarily. The gains in intelligence were not permanent. Rather, they actually diminished over time. Now, Lewin 
1937 stated that the environment played much more of an important factor. He argued that if intelligence was just down to genetics, then twins should have identical or nearly identical levels of intelligence, which is simply not the case. Eva Krapol of the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience at King's College London, in fact stated that education and learning is more than what happens to a child passively. Children are active participants in selecting, modifying and creating their experiences, much of which is linked to their genetic propensities. What is important is that parents play a crucial role in the development of their child's intelligence, either via genetics or by other things they simply do. Interestingly, New York University studied uh, mothering habits and found mothers boost their baby's intelligence by stimulating the growth of brain cells. They do this by nurturing a positive, loving relationship with their infants. Eric Turkheimer found that the higher a child's socioeconomic status, the greater the genetic influence on the difference in intelligence. Whereas for children from socially disadvantaged families, difference in intelligence were hardly inherited at all. There's also the theory that rehearsal and play can be a contributing factor to the development of intelligence in children. Uh, most noteworthy, Arlene Taylor highlighted the value of rehearsal intelligence, concluding that it's actually a learned skill. Now, she stated that the brain makes patterns from our thoughts, our words, actions and behaviours, and it goes over them again and again and again. In children's learning and play, rehearsal and repetition is a key feature. A significant amount of research has been done on the importance of play for children. It's been suggested that free play promotes better learning, better memory and the growth of the cerebral cortex. It also enhances the development of language, of spatial intelligence, counterfactual reasoning and mathematical skills. A famous 2006 study by uh, Pellegrini and Holmes showed that the positive impact of play on academic success rather, was truly measurable. They found that children with extended playtime at school were able to focus on their learning better. Intellectual development in children requires learning. Learning through play has been seen to have a significant impact on a child's intelligence. As I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, language acquisition is commonly accepted as one of the main indications of intelligence in children. Language is a trait that develops with the help of both nature and nurture. A child's vocabulary is usually an expression of how their parents spoke to them as a child. According to studies conducted in the US, the average child has heard about 30 million words by the age of three. Now, the figure for disadvantaged children is only 20 million, so that will inevitably affect their language skills. Now, there is certainly uh, the argument that a significant portion of our intelligence is innate, so naturally part of us. Then, as we grow as children, our intelligence develops, nurtured by the environment that we are raised in, ultimately. What I'd like to look at at this point in the podcast are something known as child development theories. Vygotsky believed that intelligence was formed primarily by experiences rather than genetics. 
So his research focused on the environment in which the child developed and its role on the development of intelligence. He proposed that a child's intelligence is largely influenced by interaction with others because children internalise and model what they see. So he states that intelligence was a process. Firstein in 2010, um, his study supported Vygotsky's theory of intelligence. In fact, his study indicates that intelligence is not fixed and it can be uh, moulded and modified. He explains further by stating that the parent mediates or interprets the environment for the child. And it is through this process that the child learns to understand and interpret the world. He called that mediated learning or a mediated learning experience. Fjordstein's research uh, focused on the ability to learn and whether intelligence can be taught and further development developed. rather. He concluded that this can happen through the mediated learning experience, whereby an adult can mediate a child's approach to learning. In infants, the adult will be their parent, carer or teacher who gives information in a meaningful and mediated way. The child then learns to understand and assimilate that information and therefore develop intelligence. Erickson is a, another key figure that places importance on the child's external world and its impact on the development of intelligence. He developed eight stages of development known as Erickson's psychosocial theory of development, in which he highlights that a child's sense of identity impacts on their ability to acquire information. How a parent helps that child navigate through these stages is a really crucial factor. So if a parent uh, successfully helps the child through the stages, they stand a strong chance of having a high intelligence. A parent who can successfully help the child through these stages would be a parent that is likely to have nurtured a secure attachment with their child. Piaget was one of the most well-known theorists on children's development of intelligence. He saw our intelligence as an active, uh, constructive and dynamic process. He stated that as children develop, the structure of their thinking changes and that these new modes of thought are based on the earlier structures, which he named schemas. In other words, every child already has their own individual schema for acquiring a skill or solving a problem, which will determine their chances of success. Piaget also states that the infant is born with certain cognitive abilities and that their environment nurtures and grows this ability. Piaget's theory of intelligence seems to marry genetics and environment together as contributing factors to the, to the development of intelligence. Now, this is a strong argument as this would account for the varying levels of intelligence in siblings with similar upbringings. PJ also highlighted two cognitive processes with regards to intellectual development in children. Firstly, assimilation, which incorporates new information into an already existing cognitive structure. And secondly, accommodation, which forms a new cognitive structure into which new information could be incorporated. He adds that these two processes work in a sort of reciprocal fashion, if you like, meaning that both processes can work together and actually complement one another. He later introduced equilibration, 
which involves the person striking a balance between themselves and the environment. Now that suggests that learning, thinking and intelligence are dependent on the active participation of the child. Which leads me to talk about intelligence tests. Now, this is what I'd like to close the podcast with. Intelligence tests are used to measure performance in specific areas. So things like verbal ability, memory and reasoning. And a number of people listening to this podcast, particularly if they're of school age, no doubt have had to sit through a number of these kind of intelligence tests in their school education. Now, Binet uh, developed a test of intelligence called the Binet-Simon Um, which was further developed in 1916 and renamed the Stanford Binet Test. Now, the Stanford Binet Test is still widely used today and it measures skills such as judgment, comprehension, reasoning, but it provides a quantifiable way of measuring intelligence. However, the Stanford Binet Test is limited in that it can only measure intelligence in one form, via tests. Now, it seems to suggest that intelligence is based on one type of ability rather than a range. It doesn't take into account the range of ways in which individuals demonstrate their intelligence, such as creative artwork or building, um, for example, intricate skyscrapers, an intelligent play amongst children. Many also believe that it is culturally biased, as it's aimed at individuals from more affluent and Western backgrounds. The same critique actually applies to other tests of intelligence, such as the one developed for children by David Weschler in 1949 called the Weschler Intelligence Scale for Children, or WISC-3, if you like. Now, these tests are often used to benchmark a child's educational progress. Whilst IQ tests like these can be a good good way to measure a child's intelligence and progress, the critique still remains that it fails to look at the entire picture of a child's capabilities. They just do not take into account a child's individual character, attachment style, environment and culture. They also don't test for emotional intelligence, which is when an individual shows capacity or significant capacity rather to be aware of theirs and others' emotions. The view that we are born with a certain level of fixed intelligence is, I guess we could say, pretty outdated. The environment we know plays a role in the way that children are nurtured and it contributes to the development of their intelligence. Children develop on their existing intelligence through numerous factors in their environment, namely the positive relationship with their primary caregiver, their opportunities to explore, to play, to learn and to rehearse. Perhaps the way to look at it is that our intelligence is like a seed that is implanted in us and how that seed of intelligence is fed watered and nurtured determines how well the intelligence grows we or who we are rather as adults is shaped by our childhood experiences and attachments and that surely has to include our intelligence too all that's left for me to really say is a big thank you to everyone listening for this or to this podcast rather um And I'd like to say a big thank you as well to Curriculum Press, our sponsors, who have provided content for me to use for this particular podcast. If there's anything at all that you would like to know more about, if you have any interesting questions you'd like to ask, then do get in touch at kytosbiology at gmail.com. So thank you very much. Until next time.